Well, I want to welcome you to church today. And I don't know if you uh, signed up for this amazing of an experience when you came here this today, but like it's happening. So God's presence is here. I believe he wants to work in your life. He cares about you and he has something for you today. The summer is fun. I love the summertime in Arizona. People complain about the heat. I just am glad I don't have to shovel snow. Amen. You'd be thankful for what you have. Amen. And I love summer in the church world because a lot of guests come and people are looking for churches after they move into town. And so if you have come in the last few weeks and uh, just started attending our church and you're trying to feel it out, I just want to welcome you and, and say we're glad you're here. And I hope it feels like a comfortable place for you to worship the Lord. And I just want to encourage you uh, to engage and to enter into what God is doing and to open your heart up and allow him to speak into your life. And uh, today you need to understand our church is uh, an engaging church. It's an alive church. People tend to respond because of what God has done in their hearts. And we just believe that if you truly have faith that Jesus has saved you from your sins and an eternity in hell, it just means you have to worship him. You have to celebrate. You should be excited. If you're not an excited Christian, I'm like, what are you doing? So I just want to encourage you to like enter in, engage. If you hear something from the word of God today that's encouraging to you, you can say, that's right. You can say, amen. You can say, preach that. Come on, Awatuki. You can say, amen. I love it. I love it. We got two campuses in this church. There's a campus in Mesa and in Ahwatukee. So if whatever campus you go to, it's the same church in two locations. And we love what God is doing in our church. So today we're going to continue our series, Studying the Life of David. And we're talking about how to live like a king. Who doesn't want to live like a king? Ladies, live like a queen. Amen. God has made you royalty. And if you're a part of God's family, you are adopted into a royal family. This isn't just like fluff and happy compliments. You're actually royalty if you're a follower of Jesus. And so you've got to learn how to live like royalty. And we can study the example of David in the word of God and draw a lot of principles from his life and from the Bible that really help us to live in the fullness of life that God has for us. And that's what he wants for you. That's what I want for you. And I believe that God has something good for us today. Last week, we talked about jealousy. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, it says, this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. I mean, this is hilarious, right? Like I, I just think about like a high school, junior high girl whining that she only has a thousand friends, that she only has a thousand iPods in her bedroom that she doesn't use anymore. Like I would think King Saul would be happy, you know, happy that people do sing about him at all. You know, I, I don't have anyone singing songs about me. But they're saying, King Saul has killed thousands. But here he is, he's whining. Like, they're only crediting me with thousands, but David with tens of thousands. I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? Why are you allowing jealousy and envy to rob you of the joy that is available to you? And that's what will happen if you allow yourself to be jealous then jealousy can keep you from enjoying the blessings that God has brought into your life. Don't let someone else's blessing rob you from enjoying your own blessing. Think about what God has given you and what he has done for you. So some of you today, this is a good first step. Let's just shift our perspective. And maybe God is saying to you, stop thinking about the thing that you don't have 
and instead give God thanks for what you do have. We see that David, he did a good job serving King Saul. He wanted to be a faithful servant, but the more he was blessed, the more jealous and afraid King Saul became of him. Fear, fear for no reason, fear that David was out to get him. Fear caused him to lash out against David and to attack him. And and fear will do that, won't it? Fear can destroy relationships. Fear has destroyed many, many relationships. Many marriages have ended in divorce because someone feared, if I stay in this marriage, I'll never be happy. Many people have prematurely left a church that God brought them to because they feared, if I stay here, my needs won't be met. Rather than hearing God say, maybe you're a part of meeting the need. Instead of just thinking about other people meeting your needs, maybe you're supposed to help build something rather than just receive. Right? Fear can cause you to miss out. It can cause you to miss out on so much. And so we should learn from this example. Here's what happened with King Saul. It says in this passage in, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, that David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Now, I'm not here to tell you what to do. And, you know, you've got free will and you're a grown up. But listen, if your boss tries to kill you, you might want to turn in your two weeks notice. And if he tries to kill you again, I think you should probably consider not showing up for your next shift. You know what I'm saying? Like the old saying goes, spear me once, shame on you. Spear me twice, shame on me. Like David, not just once, missed him, missed him again. And he's still up there playing the harp. I mean, King Saul was crazy. And David had to endure a lot because of his crazy king that he served under. And here's the truth. A lot of times in life, the hardships that you have to face and the suffering that that you have to face is due to a leader or a crazy situation. And you have to understand that you're going to have to endure some of those situations. And God wants to help you to endure. He he wants to help you get through it and through the life of David. We're going to talk more today about how to endure like a king. I want you to understand understand how to endure like a king. A king, a queen, she can do more. He can go further. He can last longer because he knows the truth. And God's word is truth. So we can learn from this, man. If you're dealing with a difficult boss or a difficult spouse and you think he's the worst, she is, she is the worst wife anyone's ever had, I, I guarantee. My boss, my husband is the worst leader I've ever seen. I just will propose to you, at least he has not tried to spear you to the wall, okay? So maybe be grateful for what you do have, amen? Like, it could be worse, and that's sometimes helpful. Sometimes actually being grateful allows us to have joy, the Bible says, and the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we need strength to endure difficult situations, amen? I think we have to think about that and put it in perspective. So maybe you're going through something in your life that is difficult, that's overwhelming, something that is terrifying even. Some of you are going through situations where you're just like constantly barely holding it together and you feel like if it just a a strong breeze came along, you would crack. And you need to understand that God wants to help you endure. He wants to help you make it through this situation. And the the Bible does tell us that we're gonna have to endure some things in our lives. So I wanna answer some questions and, and maybe help you with some principles. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write some of these things down to come back to and study. 
as you pray this week and as you seek the Lord and your Bible reading time. And, and I think these things could help you to remember the truth. Here's the first thing I want to talk about. If you've gone through a difficult situation, I'm willing to guess. I would wager that there has been a point where you have stopped and you have said, why is this happening to me? I'm going to go ahead and just step out on a ledge and say, there's probably been a point you've asked this question. What did I do to deserve this? Did I do something? Is God punishing me for something that I did? And I want to answer that question very simply and very clearly. God is not punishing you. God is not punishing you. And that's something you have to understand. It's so true. It's so important. But we're tempted to think that. We're tempted to wonder about this. Because after all, I mean, he is God. And so we think, you know, if he's God, he's got all the power in the world and he can do anything. Why is he letting me go through this? It must be because I've done something, right? That's a, it's a common question. And we have to understand this truth. God is not punishing you. And, and I'll just be I'll just be real with you with some of my own life struggles, if that's okay. I'll just be transparent with you. There's been times in my life that I've asked the same question. And even though I knew the answer was no, I was still tempted with the same thoughts that we're all tempted with. Maybe you've never gone through a hard situation in your life and this doesn't apply to you. If so, you could come back and listen to this sermon on the podcast later. But there's been times in my life where I've gone through things and I'm like, why? Why? What is happening? Am I being punished for something I did when I was in high school? God knows I did enough things wrong that I deserve to be punished. <laughs> I wouldn't be really even that upset. Like, I, I kind of deserve it. But, but you ask the question. And, and so there's been some things that, I, that have caused me to ask the same question. Like one of the things I've shared with our church before is, you know, I've been married to my wife for a while, but we've wrestled with infertility. And that's a really emotionally kind of heavy and spiritually heavy thing to wrestle with. And as a Christian, I read the Bible. And so oftentimes in the Bible, I see that the Bible describes children as a blessing. And children are a blessing. Amen? You're like, okay, yeah, amen. Just pretend like you believe that. <laughs> and so if you can't have children and you're a Christian, it's very easy to think, well, why am I not being blessed? Am I, am I not being blessed? Is God withholding his blessing from me? Is God maybe even maybe punishing me? Am I being cursed? Am I cursed for something that I did? And you need to know the truth. The truth is that you're not. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't be. You can't be. And I want to show you what the Bible says, because that's where we can really stand on what the word of God says. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 says about Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. First John chapter two, verse one says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And then it it says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. That's you. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. So that's what the Bible says about your sins. 
Not that you're being punished. You can't be punished. And, and so I think about, there was a guy named Horatio Spafford, and he went through a lot. He went through probably more than any of us will ever go through in our entire lives. He had five children. His oldest son was killed by the scarlet fever. He was a wealthy lawyer in Chicago, and he lost all of his wealth and assets during the great Chicago fire. As if that wasn't enough, I mean, most people would think, surely I must be cursed. Then he decided, I'm gonna send my family on a vacation. We need a vacation. So we're gonna go to England and get some R&R. So he sends his wife and four daughters ahead to England while he wrapped up some business dealings. And the ship that they were sailing on was struck by another ship and sank. His wife was saved, but his four daughters drowned. He found out that his wife was alive when she sent him a telegram saying, saved alone, what should I do? He went to catch up with his wife and sail across the ocean. And as they were sailing, the captain called him up to the cabin and said, sir, this is the place where the ship that your family was on went down. This is where your daughters drowned. And the story is that he went to his cabin and wrote this song, It Is Well. It is well with my soul, the song says. I mean, if anyone had an excuse, if anyone had a reason to be mad at God or to ask, am I being punished? I don't think there's been a guy since Job who was punished so much, who, was, who suffered so much. He wasn't being punished, though. These were, these were circumstances that took place, and he was able to describe that it was still well with his soul in the middle of this difficult circumstance. And I think, you know, if, if, if I'm tempted to think I'm being punished, maybe he was tempted to think that he was being punished. And so it's so powerful me to in, in that song, the third verse of that song specifically talks about our sins. And it says this, it says, my sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sins not in part, but the whole were nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is well with my soul. we have to know he knew that even though I've suffered so much loss and I've gone through so much I know that my sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus because he bore our sins that we would be able to be free from our sins God already punished Jesus for your sins, so he cannot punish you again if he were gonna do that he would not be a good God or a just judge and that's why you know I cannot be punished for my sins to say God is punishing me is to impugn the character of God and disregard the sacrifice of Jesus we read a verse that said if we do sin 
We have an advocate before the father. The accuser comes against you and says, oh, she sinned. He just sinned again. I saw it. We've got the video. You deserve, you should punish him. And it says, Jesus, our advocate, he stands up and he says, objection in the courtroom of heaven. I've already paid the penalty for her sins. I've already paid the penalty for his sins. He can't be punished. And the judge, God, the father says, case dismissed. Case dismissed. You cannot be punished for your sins. Your sins have already been forgiven. You've instead received God's favor. Instead of being punished like we deserve, we receive favor that we could never earn. And so understand that and never doubt that. Never be confused. You will face hardship and trials will come your way, but you are not being punished. God loves you. He cares for you and he favors you. And so you can get through any situation. No, the Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Even though we sin, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, your favorite. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of this message. There are, there are other um, explanations for why we go through difficult things in our lives. Another explanation, another reason why we experience hardship is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And, and what that means is that God, when he originally created the world, he created it perfectly. There was no sickness. There was no disease or death. It was never his intention that we would experience suffering. But he gave mankind free will because he didn't want you and I to be a bunch of robots. And Adam and Eve, the first men, they did what we would have all probably done eventually. They, they rebelled against God. They chose to disregard his commandments. And so the curse of sin was ushered into the world. And even though when we place our faith in Jesus, we're saved from sin eternally, while we're still alive in this life, we will sometimes suffer under the effects of the curse of sin temporarily. And so we know we still deal with the effects of sin, even though God sees us as sinless and our eternity is safe. Man, right now there might be some suffering. And so you need to know that. You need to know that what I'm dealing with right now is because I live in a fallen world. But we read this verse in Hebrews that say that God, he's sending Jesus who will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So for those of us who live in this sinful fallen world, you need to know that Jesus is coming back and he's gonna end the sinful fallen world and recreate it new, that you will be free and saved from this world. The Bible says that in the eternal heaven that we're gonna live in as followers of Jesus, there will be no more pain or sorrow or sickness or disease, that Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye. And you have that to look forward to. The present sufferings we endure do not compare to our hope of glory for eternity. It's gonna be so good. So you can endure through hardship. Here's another reason uh, you might sometimes suffer and have to endure difficult circumstances. You might be enduring the consequences of your own choices. God gives us free will and we're allowed to make our choices. And God knows we sometimes make bad choices, don't we? And God gives us free will. That means he has to let us experience the effects of our choices. If he stepped in every time we did something that was wrong and fixed it, we wouldn't actually have free will. 
And so if you make bad choices consistently, it's going to go hard for you. Like it's going to be a, you're going to be the person who learns the hard way rather than the easy way. And so if you decide, for example, like to eat terrible your entire life and never exercise, don't think God is punishing you when you deal with some sickness, right? If you drink and drink and drink, and then the doctor says like, your liver's not in such good shape. Don't be like, God, why are you punishing me? It's like, I I just let you have free will and you chose to drink, right? So even though God loves us and saves us, he will let us suffer the consequences of our choices oftentimes. Like if you kill someone and go to jail, you can ask the Lord to forgive you. He will forgive you in an instant, but you might still serve out some of that prison sentence, knowing that in the next life, I'm gonna be eternally free from the consequences of my sin. So you have that to look forward to, but remember, don't blame God for your bad choices. That's just a little pastor love right there. I wasn't expecting you to say amen to that point. <laughs> another, another possible explanation for why we go through hard things is that God might be using your circumstances to discipline you. And this is the truth. Discipline is not the same as punishment. When the Bible talks about punishment or judgment or condemnation, it uses a different word. When it talks about discipline, it uses the Greek word padaya, padaya, which means instruction or training or tutoring. And here's what it says about discipline in Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Like when you start working out, it's not fun. It's terrible. There's a lot of lessons that you have to learn and it's not comfortable, but God is not punishing you. He's disciplining you. That's because he loves you. The Bible says a father disciplines the son whom he loves. If he didn't discipline you, it would be a sign that he didn't care about you. But he does train you. He does correct you. He does instruct us because he wants to prepare us for greater things. When David was in the fields taking care of sheep, he was being disciplined. It would have been so easy to be out there like, God, why have you forsaken me? You left me out here with these smelly sheep. God was disciplining him, was training him how to endure and be patient and learn lessons that would help him when he stepped into a higher position of authority. It's discipline. Don't reject the Lord's discipline. You should welcome it because discipline results in a peaceful harvest of right living in your life. The lessons that God is teaching you are going to help you in other ways. As God gives you more self-control to overcome that addiction, that same spirit of self-control is going to help you handle your finances better and say no to pornography and prioritize exercise in your life. Like it's just going to result in more and more blessing in your life. So don't disdain the discipline of the Lord. He loves you. Remember when life is crazy, God loves you. You can trust him. He's going to help you. He is for you. He'll help you through whatever you get uh, caught up in or find yourself in. So understand, God is not punishing you. We see Saul is crazy. He's, he's obviously a crazy king. He tried to kill David with a spear. And then he hatches this plot to have him killed. And we're going to read about that. In verse 17, Saul thought, 
I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. That's a good plan. It goes on and says, verse 13, finally Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Verse 30 says, Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. This is hilarious to me. Saul tries to kill David with a spear, and then he's like, let's send him out into battle and let the Philistines kill him. That, that's a good idea. Like, then I won't have to do it. I won't be like, people like, won't be accusing me of stuff and giving me a hard time. I'll just be able to say, oh, he just died in combat. What did you expect? Like, it's a good little evil plan. But then you start to see this crazy thing play out where David is like Roadrunner and Saul is like Wiley Coyote. And every time he hatches a new plot to take him down, David just comes out looking squeaky clean, right? And he just experiences his success. Saul sends him out to die in battle, but David just keeps winning battles. He turns into this Holy Spirit-powered superhero, and Saul's there like, what do I got to do to kill this guy? You ever find yourself in a situation in life that just looks crazy, just looks overwhelming? I mean, David went through a lot. Have you ever gone through something like that where you're like, just when I thought it couldn't get any worse? Then this happens. What's going to happen next? This is already crazy. I want you to understand this next important truth. God can turn crazy awful into crazy awesome. And that's what he did for David. That's what he'll do for you. He can turn a situation around. Saul sent David out to die. And, and, and I'm sure that would have been a, a bit overwhelming. Like, man, this guy really wants to take me out. He's thinking, I'll get rid of him. And I just want to encourage you that when you face difficult situations in your life, don't panic. Some of you are panicking right now. Don't panic because God is working and he's moving and he can take your difficult situation and turn it around. When it seems like life is crazy and overwhelming, it might be that God is about to turn your crazy, awful situation into a crazy, awesome situation. Saul thought he was sending David out to die and he was actually setting David up to succeed. He was gonna win the battle and people were gonna be like, David is the man. Like God turned that situation around. That's what he does. He'll often use the enemy strategy to destroy you to bring you victory he'll turn the enemy's own schemes on him and bring advantage to you that's what God does allow him to turn your situation around I love it I love it that the more plot Saul came up with to take David down the more he succeeded you know that God can do that. God can take the enemy's plot to take you down and use it as part of his plan to build you up and to lift you up the thing he thought would destroy you God will use to build you up and bless you. You can believe it. It might be that he's getting ready to do something crazy awesome in your life. And let me show you an example about how that can play out in your life and how you might be able to participate in that. First, he threw spears at him. Then King Saul promised David he could marry his daughter. Do you remember that part when he said, whoever kills Goliath can marry my daughter? So Saul was like, hey, you can marry my oldest daughter. And David was, you know, cool. That sounds cool. Then King Saul was like, psych, and gave the daughter to another guy. I mean, that's jacked up, right? 
And so David's like still just serving him faithfully and going along with the flow. Then King Saul sends him out into battle and is like, maybe he'll get killed, but he comes back as a winner. So King Saul, then he's like, I'm going to let you marry my younger daughter who actually was in love with him. Joke's on you, King Saul. And so I'm sure David was thinking, sweet, that's great. And King Saul said, there's one catch. There's a catch. I'm going to ask you to do something for me if you want to marry my younger daughter. Here's what he said in 1 Samuel 18, verse 25. This is where it gets really interesting. Tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. But when, what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. Okay, hold up. If you don't know what a foreskin is, ask your mom. That's not my place to have that conversation. I mean, how much crazier can King Saul get? He already tried to kill the guy. And now he's like, I'm going to need you to go and bring me some foreskins. That's where the conversation is like, er, what? You know what? Never mind. I'm good. Don't need to marry into this level of craziness. And he's thinking, this will get him killed. Surely if I send him out to try to kill a hundred Philistines and remove a part of their anatomy that they are not happy to part with, he'll have to be overwhelmed and taken down. Right? Talk about a crazy, awful situation. I'm going to send David on this crazy, wild goose chase, disgusting suicide mission. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure you have not gone through something that crazy, <laughs> all right? The ridiculous stuff that David had to endure. And man, that's, that's what we see sometimes where we're just like, man, what is happening? What is happening in my life? And if you want to see God turn a crazy, awful situation into a crazy, awesome situation, you got to learn some things from David. You have to learn how to choose the right mindset. You can change your mindset and you can choose the right mindset. Here's what it says in verse 26. After this crazy request, David was delighted to accept the offer. <laughs> this kid, before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all the foreskins to him. Talk about a winner, right? He could have ran, he could have peaced out and said, I quit, but he was delighted to accept the offer. If that's what it takes to royal the, uh, marry the king's daughter, I'm gonna do it. You know, what a great attitude. I don't think I would have had that kind of good attitude. That's what David said. He's like, you want a hundred foreskins? I will see your hundred foreskins and raise you a hundred foreskins. And then he came back with a whole bag of it. It's raining foreskin. Hallelujah, it's raining foreskin. Amen. Like, I don't even know what's going through this kid's mind. Who does this? Man, it's insane. And I think about Jesus, who was like, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Here's David. Like, if your king asks you for a hundred foreskins, give him 200. But it does reflect a different type of mindset a different type of mindset that says, even if my situation is ridiculous, I don't have to be overwhelmed. I don't have to hide. I don't have to run away and, and just quit because a lot of times you are tempted to quit. You can say, man, I think that if God is truly with me, which he is, he can help me turn this crazy situation around into a crazy awesome situation. And that's what David did. He said, this is not a catastrophe. This is an opportunity 
to pr- prove myself faithful and to, and to endure and to enhance my reputation. Do you think when David walked into a room, people weren't talking about him? Like that guy killed a giant. He brought home 200 foreskins. Don't you want people to talk that way about you? I mean, crazy. God will do this. The enemy sends stuff to hinder you. God will use it to help you. This crazy situation became a part of David's legacy. And so the more ridiculous of a situation you find yourself in, you should know God might be doing something even greater in your life than you realized. Because that crazy circumstance you find yourself in will become the story of God's faithfulness in your life. And guess what? People don't want to hear stories about people who never faced adversity. No one's making a movie about the superhero who was never tested and had a quiet, lazy summer. So that story, that story of what you had to go through, that might be the thing people come and line up wanting to hear from you. Like, man, tell me about how God was faithful to you and, and how he, he was with you in the middle of difficult circumstances. Like, how did you, how did you get through that? Tell me, tell me. And, and you'll be able to say, oh, listen, listen, let me tell you what. Let me tell you about God's favor in my life foreskins. That's all you got to say. Like just, it's like when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When life gives you foreskins, make more foreskins. Okay. That's the only time I get to say this in a sermon. So, okay. It's all, I'm putting it to rest now. But this attitude that David had of like, you're a cruel king, but I'm going to do a great job serving you. This will bless us so much in our lives if we have this kind of attitude. You might have a corrupt boss, a cruel leader, a crazy parent, or a lazy friend, but you can still do a good job and go the extra mile. I mean, you might blow your boss's mind if you decided, even though he's a jerk, I'm not going to just do the minimum of what he asked me to do. I'm going to go the extra mile and do a great job and do more than he asked me to do. And God will bless you for that and raise you up and promote you. I mean, you might have a bad husband who, like, let's be honest, is not a great husband. But I think you can love him up into the better husband that you always dreamed he could be by treating him better than he deserves in multiple ways. And God will bless you for it. Amen. All the husbands are like, amen. I like this church. We should come back here to this church. (laughs) I got your back. God will turn your situation around and he will bless you. Maybe you have a pastor that's not perfect at some point in your life. And you're like, man, I could pray for him and I can build this church and I can help this church become the church I always wanted to be a part of rather than just complaining about what it's not. If you'll have that kind of attitude, you will watch God turn crazy awful into crazy awesome and bless you in so many ways. Saul, he was terrible. He threw spears. He hatched plots. And later he chased David all across the wilderness to and fro. And if we go back throughout history, you'll see that a lot of the suffering that humanity has had to endure was because of bad leaders, cruel leaders. But in the actions of David, we learn an important lesson. Now, we covered the fun stuff. This is the not fun stuff, but it needs to be said. Even when leaders do wrong, you can do right. Even when leaders do wrong, 
You can do right, but I don't wanna. But listen, it's godly and it's biblical. You might have a crazy boss. You might have a spouse who's just not loving you the right way. You might at some point you know, live under a harsh, oppressive government. You might have a, a pastor or a spiritual leader who lets you down. Um, it's possible, but you can decide, I'm gonna do the right thing even if they do the wrong thing. And this is what God asks of us. There was this time when Saul was chasing David all across the wilderness, and he's just chasing him and chasing him. And then he happens at one point to go into a cave to relieve himself, didn't know that David was hiding in the same cave. And all of David's boys were like, yo, there he is. He's distracted doing his business. Like, you should take him out. And the Bible says, like, David snuck up on him, right? He's just like, quiet. I don't even know how stealthy you have to be to sneak up on someone like this. And he decided not to kill him, but he just cut off a corner of his robe. Just, you know, like, like, oh, stinks. Like, just a cut off. This is funny when you actually think about it. Like, if you put yourself in this situation, it's insane. And so Saul comes out of the cave and David's like, hey, King Saul, I I cut off a piece of your robe. I could have killed you. Can you please stop trying to murder me? I'm really a good guy. And then the Bible says that he actually started to feel guilty, David. In 1 Samuel 24, verse 5, it says, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. It would have been a lot easier to kill King Saul, but he was still the king. And David, out of profound wisdom and rightness in his heart, said, it's not my place to take him out. It might make my life easier. It would definitely feel good, but it's not my place to touch God's anointed leader, the person who God has put in that position of leadership. And that is something that is really hard for us to hear, but we have to hear it and we have to apply it to our lives. It's true. Like, and maybe you're thinking, well, I've never stabbed my leader in the back. Have you talked trash about your president on Facebook at any point over the last eight years? Have you talked bad and gossiped about your pastor at family dinner? A lot of people haven't stabbed me in the back. They've stabbed me in the front. <laughs> like, and, I, and I'm just saying, like, it's tempting, I know, when a leader hurts your feelings or disappoints you or does something that's unfair, to strike back, to want to get even, or to gossip and talk trash. But that is not godly. That's not what he has for us. It says this in Romans 13, verse 1, "'Everyone must submit to governing authorities.'" This is no one's favorite verse, okay? It says, for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. This is a true scripture verse that we can apply to our lives, but I have not seen it on a coffee cup, okay? Because no one's like, submit to all governing authorities. Like, it's hard because we're naturally rebellious. We are naturally rebels, And God is saying, all authority is appointed by me. So when you submit to and honor authority, you're actually honoring me. You're honoring God. In our culture, they say, well, you know, respect is earned. The Lord says, no, respect is required. It's not an option. It's easy to respect and honor authority when they do what you like. But what are you going to do when they say no to you or do something you don't like? Will you honor God in that circumstance? 
David, he had an opportunity to kill Saul. He did it, just cut off his robe. And then he started to realize that's not even right. It's not right for me to touch the Lord's anointed. It's not right for me to disrespect him trying to prove a point. I thought to myself, like, David's doing a pretty good job. He could have killed him and he didn't. David realized the truth. It's not my place. It's not my place to make a statement. I don't need to post on Facebook of everything that's wrong with King Saul. And he realized this truth that we have to absorb. Later, David had another opportunity to kill Saul. He snuck into his camp when King Saul was sleeping with his bodyguards and there was a spear right there by King Saul and his boy was with him and he was like, kill him, do it, grab the spear, let's kill him. And David, he said again in 1 Samuel 26, verse nine, he said, no, don't kill him for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely, this is important, Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in battle. I mean, Saul was a terrible king. If any king deserved to be speared to the ground, it was Saul. And you will go through difficult circumstances where leaders will treat you wrong or let you down or disappoint you. And listen, there is no excuse to try to take them out. There isn't. If anyone had an excuse, David did. King Saul tried to kill him in every which way. And yet he said, no, God forbid I touch him. And listen, he understood a very important, wise truth. He said, God, in his timing, will take Saul out or he won't. He'll either die of old age or he'll die in battle. But it's not my place to decide when that time is or what it looks like. In the meantime, I'm going to go on trusting the Lord. I'm going to declare that he's faithful. I'm going to pray a lot and I'm going to endure this difficult situation. And this is the same attitude that we have to have is have. It's not fun. It's not fun to hear. You want to hear the message. It's like, let's show him who's boss. But God says, honor authority and I will bless you. And God did bless David. He did take Saul out. Saul had his head chopped off and his body was hung from the city walls. Game of Thrones much. It's like, come on, this thing came full circle and it was bloody. God took Saul out at his appointed time and lifted David up at his appointed time. David was blessed for not taking matters into his own, own hands. And listen, you will be blessed for honoring authority. It is a powerful spiritual truth that never fails. God blesses honor. Those who honor, he exalts, he lifts them up. So know that, know that King Saul, although he was a bad king and he didn't deserve respect, David's respect for him, I think resulted in a lot of blessing. All of the, the bad stuff and the crazy stuff that King Saul did, it serves to point us towards a greater king. And as we look at bad kings and bad leaders, it should cause us to long for a good king, a good leader. And that's who we have in Jesus. Amen. That's who he is to us. He is a good and kind, just and merciful king. We can submit ourselves to his rule and know that he only always has our best interest at heart. He loves us so much. He was willing to put his life on the line to prove it so that we could be free and forgiven. You might experience a cruel King Saul. You need to experience a savior king named Jesus. 
He is the one who gives life. He is the one who brings strength to a difficult circumstance. He will help you through. And in the middle of every storm, you have this hope that can sit in your heart as an assurance that there is going to be a day when Jesus returns and he brings salvation. And we should long for that. And the Bible says that God's people should say, come soon, Lord. Come soon. I don't just want a bigger pool. I want you to come soon. I'm not just praying that you would give me a nicer house, a nicer car, a nicer job. I mean, Americans sometimes think that their problems are the worst problems in the world, when in reality, our problems pale in comparison to what a lot of people have to deal with, and we become so ungrateful and unthankful for what God has given us. In reality, he's saying, I've blessed you, and I've called you to a high purpose. Will you follow me, trust in me that I will lead you through towards the path of life and use your life to bring other people into eternal life? I think sometimes we need a perspective shift in the middle. Sometimes Christians just, just tell me how it's going to get better for me in my life. And really God is saying, let me show you how to be better and follow me. Let me show you how to be useful and productive with your life. I want to build you up so that you can be like Jesus. Sometimes we have to think a little less consumeristic and we have to be grateful for what we do have. I'm thankful for what God has done for us. I love you and I know Jesus loves you and I'm going to invite you this time to bow your heads in Aotuki and in Mesa and I did say I would give you an opportunity to accept Jesus if you never have maybe you're here today and you're drawn to him the Holy Spirit's pulling on your heart and maybe you've been running from him for a while thinking well I can't come to Jesus because I'm sure he's waiting to punish me for all the things I've done wrong and in reality he's not wanting to punish you he's already taken your punishment so that he can love you and bless you and provide for you he's calling you and saying come and be forgiven and receive favor and be a part of my family and we can experience salvation, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's this simple. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. There's not a certain amount of money you have to pay. There's not a class you have to go through or a missions trip you have to endure. Salvation is a gift that comes through faith. We simply receive it. That is why Christianity is different than every other religion that has ever existed in the history of the world. We alone recognize that we cannot save ourselves, but that we're saved by God's grace because of his great love. And so I'm gonna invite you to experience that and enter into that. And I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer that's not a magic prayer, but just to help you express what's in your heart right now, you can just pray this with me right there where you're at and God hears you. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you sent your son Jesus into this world, that he lived the perfect life I could never live and that he died the brutal death that I deserved. Lord, I believe that you raised him up again on the third day so that I could have victory over sin and death. And so now I want to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being with me. You're a good God, and I want to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet right now, both campuses.
We're going to get ready to respond to this message for a moment. And I want to celebrate with anybody who might have just prayed that prayer. We love to celebrate salvation. What greater thing is there to celebrate? If you just prayed that prayer, I want to celebrate and recognize what has happened in your heart. I'm just going to invite you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. If you just accepted Jesus, one, God loves you. Two, welcome to the family. Three, just shoot it up high and just say, that's me. We're so awesome. Awesome. And Alois Huki, if you raise your hand, we're celebrating with you. We love what God is doing in our church. Thank you for inviting friends and family who need Jesus. So good. I want to encourage you, church, as we get ready to close. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. For us as Christians, this is for us. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Sometimes we have to be reminded that the enemy will attack us, and we're not protected from that by becoming Christians. We will experience difficult situations, but when the enemy is saying, I've got him right where I want him, God is saying, I've got him right where I want him. God is going to use the enemy's plot to take you down, to build you up. God will turn your shortage into an abundance of supply. God is not holding back from you. He's storing up an even greater blessing for you. And we have to live in that victory and remember that victory and give God praise in every situation. So let's do that right now. We're going to lift our voices. Let's sing this out.